Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Sacred City Vision Drip. Pastor Sam here with you today. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to wrap up this little mini series that we've been in the last several weeks talking about how to destroy your church. And of course, these are not suggestions that I think you should go do, rather. Um, I've I've framed it up in this way to be a bit tongue-in-cheek about these are things that we should stay away from. In fact, I think any any... Uh, right-minded person, anybody that loves Jesus, that that sees uh, the church as the bride of Christ, who has a, a very important role to play in the mission of God, advancing the kingdom of heaven, advancing, um, people who love Jesus, who love the church, they don't want to do this. They don't want to uh, be destructive or, or be um, counterproductive to what God is trying to accomplish through uh, the local church body and, and also through the the, the church universal, the, the larger scale church. Um, but I think a lot of times as, as sinners, because the church, like I've said before, it's comprised of, of sinners, um, sinners who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, nonetheless, but, but people who have their own sin struggles, things that are kind of going on um, in our hearts that can be very, very uh, detrimental, detrimental to uh, the life and the flourishing, the vitality of a local church body. And so I've been trying to expose some of these things that I've seen personally, um, that I've read through books, pa- books on the pastorate ministry, um, stories from other pastors that, that I've, I'm in community with, um, and sharing some of these these trends that I, I'm seeing um, with hopes to identify them, uh, to put put our finger on those things, um, to, to do some diagnoses, uh, to, to see, okay, what's the way forward? How do we combat this? What, what's the treatment plan that we need? If, if we're thinking about this as sort of a cancerous deal, um, what do I need to do to get this out of my heart and out of the church body? And, uh, and, and today we're going to wrap it up with probably uh, what might be I don't know. It's all been controversial, I would imagine, in, in some way, shape, or form. But this one might be a, a little bit more um, poignant here. Um, and, and it has to do with attitude towards church leadership. And I think that this is something that we, um, I, I think a lot of pastors stay away from talking about this because it, one, it sounds self-serving. You're, you're just trying to to make your own life easier. You're trying to um, keep down the noise and all the difficulties that are in pastoral ministry. And it s- sounds sort of self-seeking, but the scriptures in many places uh, talk about the dynamic between congregants, but between members of the church and church leadership and the dispos- disposition we ought to have towards one another, how we are to to revere one another uh, in light of the gospel and to respect and honor um, as the scripture calls us to do. And, I, and so in that, in that vein, I would say that the, the fifth and, and last way that we're going to identify, and by no means this is this an ex- exhaustive list of ways that you can blow up your church. I, I'm sure there are plenty more, um, but these are, are the ones that I, I think are probably most pressing. And, and I think this one probably is um, the granddaddy of them all. It's the one that I think that really has its grip on uh, the Western church at this point. And, and that is this. If you want to destroy your church, you need to main, maintain a chronic disposition of skepticism towards your church leadership. 
If you want to destroy the church, you need to to think that um, always always second guess the intent, the motives of your pastor. You need to um, be divisive, undermine their leadership. Always have this sort of cloud of doubt, and and um, even I would say like a critical spirit towards everything leadership ever does. If you want to destroy your church, that's a good way to go about doing it. And and I think that it's not just for the church. Um, I think worldwide. I think um, across. All, all the different spheres. Um, there is a uh, a very profound leadership crisis going on right now. Um, I think everywhere, every sector that you find yourself in, there is a need for um, strong, courageous, convictional, compassionate leadership, and just not enough people filling those shoes. And, and I think that one, I think it's caused by two two things. One, um, there's not as many people getting in, and I'll talk about this in a second, and there's more people getting out. So, so there's fewer people coming into those leadership positions, and those who are already in leadership positions, they're looking for the escape hatch. They're looking for the eject button to get out of there. And, and so let me break this down. So getting in, if you look specifically at the church, there are fewer people pursuing, um, church eldership, pastoral ministry, um, right now than there are, there have been in, in the past. And you see this even reflected in the fact that many seminaries and Christian institutions that are, are focused on developing pastors and equipping ministry leaders, um, they're having to scale back. You're seeing them cut faculty, cut programs, even some entire um, seminaries are closing down because you see this, uh, not enough people coming in to support uh, the infrastructure that, that's needed um, to, to, to build these institutions, to maintain these institutions. And so you have people, fewer people entering. Now, this can be for all different kinds of reasons. I'll kind of get into a couple here in a minute. Um, but but you just have fewer people get in. Now, the other thing that's shocking is you have a lot of pastors currently looking for the escape button, um, the escape hatch. Um, in fact, over the last few years, there have been a number of, of shocking statistics that have come out through like Barna or Lifeway Research, some of these, um, these um, survey sort of statistic organizations that that work on gathering data from the church and, and nonprofit spheres, Christian spheres, um, and, and putting those together and identifying some of the trends that we're seeing. And um, and depending on which one you land on, you'll see that anywhere from like 40 to 50% of pastors in the last few years have considered leaving the ministry altogether. That, that there are 40 to 50% of pastors right now that are wondering... Um, is this the end for me here as a, as a leader of the church, as a pastor of the church? And so you've got a lot of people, um, again, as, not as not as big as a pipeline come, for people coming in, and you have a, a big exit ramp where people are looking to get out. And I've seen many, many, many articles and blog posts, podcasts, um, where pastors who say, man, I love the church. I, I have... I've, I know I've been called to do what I, I'm doing, um, but I can't keep doing this anymore. There's too many challenges, unforeseen challenges, because a lot of the lands, landscape of this has shifted so drastically uh, within the last five to ten years um, that that I can't sustain this, not not personally. There's there's too much of a load. Um, it's too hard on my family. It's just too hard on the church. And so you see a lot of people getting out. 
which leaves the church in a very vulnerable position because th- there's always a leadership vacuum. Um, and when you don't have enough qualified people to fill those spots, what happens is the standard stops starts drooping a little bit and you get people who are, are probably not qualified that are not competent coming into these roles. And, and a lot of times, um, as well and as intentioned as, as they might be, um, they end up causing a lot of heartache, doing a lot of damage and hurting a lot of people along the way. And so there certainly is a leadership crisis, um, everywhere, but, but especially in the church. Now, let me, let me just pause here and, and say, um, I maybe identify some of the the reasons why um, I think, and and I think you could go back to some of this data um, that from these uh, surveys that that point to some of the reasons why this is happening. Um, number one, and I think this has always been uh, an underlying issue of like maybe why people are reluctant to get into pastoral ministry or even to stay in a pastoral ministry. One, it's just not an economically lucrative. Uh, vocation. Um, not very many people, not very many pastors are, are even making like an adequate salary um, that, that would compete with working in the private sector that if you were to, you know, like take our church, for example, we've, we've got about a hundred members and if, if um, and you know, 30 some leaders and whatever. And, and if you were to go into the, to the, the secular sphere um, into the, uh, and find a job that's sort of comparable with the same thing, you've got 30 direct report ports, um, you've got a hundred different people that you're servicing. The the comparison between uh, you know responsibilities be fairly the same, but the compensation is very different. And so uh, that's always been one of the reasons, uh, the, the financial aspect of it. Um, but I also think that the additional thing that layers on top of that is, which is everybody's going through, is, is we've been going through some tough economic times. So we've got inflation that we've been dealing with. Um, you've, you've got all kinds of uh, the taxes are insane. Um, and so it's just, it's a hard, hard vocation to be in and want to think about the things the Bible talks about is, is creating a, an inheritance for our children who come after us that create a, a, fi- a financial stability and legacy that we can pass on. Um, once we depart this world, pass on to our kids or our grandkids. Um, and so a lot of times, uh, people look at pastoral ministry that doesn't seem to be a very lucrative financially, uh, position to be in. Now, I don't think anybody gets into pastoral ministry for, for the money. And I would say that maybe there's a few outliers to this. Maybe um, I think that there certainly are pastors that are being well compensated. And then you can look on TBN. you got all kinds of televangelists that are making buku bucks. But I would say most of those guys are are wicked men that are they're, they're wolves in sheepskin um, that have some sort of prosperity gospel going on or you know they're, they're instead of it's like kind of what Jesus talked about in John 10 they're the they're the the thieves and the robbers who come in over the fence that are, are trying to to take over the flock but they just simply don't do it and 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 I think a lot of those cases that that's what's going on and some of those guys that are getting real paid they get a real paycheck um, and so I think that one the financial piece two um, I think COVID had a lot to do with uh, a lot of this departure. I think it's, it wasn't just COVID, but there, there was, that was certainly contributing. Um, a lot of things kind of were going on at the same time of 2020, late 2019, early 2020, um, where this started to inflame the problem. Um, and, and 
a lot of pastors been wondering it like, do, can I keep going? And so with COVID, you you've got um, many congregations were split. Like, what do we do here? How, how do we respond to these mandates that were issued and and some of the the governmental overreach? Um, and and whatever decision you make, it's going to be scrutinized by the other half. So if you keep on pressing on, well, there's going to be half people who say, hey, you're not loving your neighbor, you're not caring for the vulnerable, the the, the least of these. Um, if you if you say, okay, well, uh, we're going to listen to the government and we're going to shut down, then of course you're you're breaking the Lord's commandment to and not honoring the Sabbath and keeping it holy, um, and you're going to have people that are going to be offended by that. And I think you saw a lot of uh, church transfer happen in the time where where a lot of serious Christians are like, we we cannot stop meeting. God calls us to meet. That uh, if their churches stopped meeting, that that they were quickly looking for a new place to uh, become members of at the church. And so that was one of the things very controversial time. There's a lot of stuff we didn't know. Maybe maybe we didn't know initially, and then we got a little bit wiser as we got uh, a few weeks in, four, five, six, seven, eight weeks in. And then there were certainly, you know, others that held out a little bit longer, but that was definitely a divisive time where the the decisions that had to be made, no matter what you did, you were making the wrong decision in somebody's eyes. Um, and so you had to deal with that. Then you have um, some of the racial tensions, the social tensions. you got critical theory, um, critical race theory specifically with all of the uh, the stuff that was going on with George Floyd and how do you respond to that. And, of course, that that's a pretty divisive topic as well. You've got uh, the critical theory as, as it pertains to gender ideology and, and homosexuality. And you've got some of these big cultural issues that the Bible is very clear about, that if you take a stand, if you if you stand up and say what the Bible says, um, there are going to be some people, no matter what you say or how you say it, you're going to be critiqued. You're going to be, you're going to find yourself meeting um, extra emails, or you're going to find yourself encountering people saying, well, I don't think you should have done it that way. So just a, a level of, of criticism that uh, oftentimes just wasn't, wasn't helpful. Now, I'm not saying that, uh, I'm not saying that everybody does things perfectly. Um, so there certainly is, you have to factor in the, the human capacity for error. Um, but, but there certainly those things had exposed a, uh, a significant, um, line of controversy that, that you just, no matter what you did, felt like you couldn't win. And so people feeling like that, you got, you have, uh, again, 2020 election year, um, we're in one right now this year, we'll have a, a we got to build up to November here. Um, and so more and more churches getting divided politically. You have a bunch of like talking heads from evangelical channels that are, are saying things that are not necessarily helpful from, from a, uh, uh, a local perspective that that Christians who are are reading these blogs or going to these websites they they hear this one thing and their pastor does something different and so they they want to to challenge and and sort of you know again here comes that skepticism and um, criticism and so it's like they get bombarded by all of these factors and, and there's thousands other in there that that are in the the normal line of duty uh, with pastoral ministry that that you can be viewed as uh, that the, those ideas those thoughts, the, what you say, decisions you make can be viewed in a way that uh, is not pr- popular with, uh, you know, the, the overall um, majority or, or even a lot of times the the, the vocal minority um, where you're facing a lot of criticism. So I think this is one of the things that pushed pastors that, that were there uh, in the pastoral ministry and and all these things happened. Like, I just don't know if I can do this. Like, is, is it worth it? And and so um, I think over the last few years, if, if you break down the pros and cons of of vocational ministry, more people saw, saw the things piling up in the cons list than they saw in the pros list. And, and so um, 
for those who are maybe more faint of heart, not wanting to, to press through some of those hard things, or, or maybe they just had a, a, a disproportionate dose of those hard things and it just really blew up. Um, those things really push them out of the ministry. And then I think another thing that, that probably gets overlooked, but it, I think at least from, from my perspective and, and sort of the, um, the tendencies that we have or, or the affiliations that we have, um, there's some other things that played a role in this and, and specifically towards the skepticism, all that other stuff had to do with, you know, just the challenges of pastoral ministry. And, and then of course, downstream of that, you can get into the skepticism, you can get into the, the uh, hypercritical, um, tendencies that congregants might have towards their leaders. But there was something else that happened uh, around this time uh, that was part of um, Christianity Today put out this um, podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And um, and this this podcast, I'm not, I'm not recommending this that, that you go listen to it. I, I don't think it's constructive. Um, while I think that they, they, um, expose some of the, the issues maybe with, um, pastors who have, uh, competencies or, or I'd say that they have giftings that outpace their character. I think that's certainly a thing where, where you can have pastors like that. Um, I, I think they expose some, some helpful things, but the diagnostics and the fallout of it were really detrimental um, to a lot of churches that tend to have the same sort of posture as far as um, being reformed theologically, being missional in its orientation or evangelical in its orientation, um, valuing um, complementarianism or biblical patriarchy um, of of men men leading in the church and in the home. Um, If you have some of those similarities between uh, your church and what uh, was was sort of presented in this podcast, um, a lot of people started asking questions just, and it's kind of like watching a car crash. It's, you know, as an ambulance goes by, um, it's like watching a car crash. Like, it, it's terrible to hear whenever there's a pastor who falls from grace, whenever there's a pastor that has moral failure or has some sort of, you know, leadership failure, it, it's it's a sad thing for the kingdom. Um, and, and so there, I know that there are, situations like that. Uh, so I'm not giving pastors an out where it's okay to do whatever you want and to put those things like qualifications and, and competencies aside. Um, but a, a lot of times what's happened, people would look at this podcast and then project, um, the, the, um, what's the word, not disgruntledness, but maybe that, um, project some of these, these criticisms that they have onto their local church. And, and I, I sense that, I guess with, with the pool of, of pastors that I interact with, uh, often, um, I, I've heard that as a, a, constant refrain of just dealing with the fallout of that podcast and other podcasts like that, because I think that that podcast sort of served as a domino effect where more and more of these podcasts or blogs or whatever it would be, or even just like conversational attitudes within the church start popping up and, and um, a lot of skepticism being bred in the local church. And of course, there are, we had connections, um, being an Acts 29 church, Mark Driscoll, who, who that podcast was about, um, was one of the founders of Acts 29. And, and, and Acts 29, you know, has not a great track record of, of some of their leadership. Uh, you know, you have Mark Driscoll who had that podcast, um, recently Matt Chandler, who's the president had this debacle come out and, um, some, some questionable things happened and having to go on some sort of disciplinary process. Um, 
um, the CEO of Acts 29, past CEO, um, Steve Timmis had, had some sort of a moral failure that there was a lot of fuzziness there still. I'm, you know, I'm kind of, I'm not like in the inner circle on these things, but being an Acts 29 pastor, the stuff that, that usually we, we get a little bit of, of more detail of what was going on. But even with that, um, we're still pretty much in the dark on, on what happened there. You, Darren Patrick, another pastor who had a moral failure, who is connected, I think, vice president of Acts 29. So you've got some upper leadership of Acts 29 um, who had some sort of moral failure or pastoral failure. And just by association, that, that means that, oh, we must be doing the same things too. And... And I, I saw a lot of people um, in Acts 29 churches that, that I know personally and also from a distance that had gone through that, been influenced by a podcast or blogs like that, and then taken all those things, all those complaints, all those criticisms, and projected that on, those things onto their pastor and just kind of maintained this, this degree of skepticism towards their leadership. And, um, and I like... Not every Acts 29 pastor shares the same tendencies um, or, or the same personality as some of these guys or, or even um, has the same failures. I, I, all pastors fail in some capacity. We're all sinners um, where we all fall short of the God standard. But, but one of the things that, that keeps us and maintains us in qualification for, for leadership is maintaining a, a life, a constant pattern of, of faith and repentance um, and turning away from sin, knowing that, that the Lord uses the ministry to, to expose our idolatries and our, our flesh and, and the Lord uses that, and when He exposes our sin, our response is, as godly leaders is to confess, repent, uh, to turn from that, and then to uh, walk in faith, not to, to throw into the rag, um, unless it's a, a, a significant thing where there there is a disqualification for leadership. And so I, I've seen how these podcasts have influenced uh, the attitudes of churches that are, are miles and miles and miles apart from where this stuff actually happened. In fact, I've had a couple friends um, that found themselves in the crosshairs, one of them being targeted on, on one of these these nasty podcasts that's all about, um, you know, creating more skepticism and, and launching uh, unsubstantiated claims against their pastor. And so I had a friend like that. I had a, f- a friend whose who's church tanked um, because there was such a divide in the, in the local church that um, he, he was unable to keep going on and, and they basically shooed him out. Um, and, and certainly he had things that, that he failed at and could have grown in and all of that. Um, but, but a lot of times the, uh, the, the punishment uh, of situations like that does not match the crime. And so I've seen this kind of play out through the crises of 2020 and on, um, and, and specifically through the role of these podcasts. And, and a lot of times, um, one of the things that we fail to, to recognize is that um, God has a high standard for his leaders. God, God has specific qualifications for the men who are going to fill the office of pastor um, that they must not just check the boxes on during an, an interview process or in the initial phases of, of ordination, um, but may, must maintain as part of, of the vocation or, or the role of being a pel- pastor or an elder. And, and so um, I, I, I guess let me put that, the little asterisk there. There are pastors who fail, but not all pastors fail, at least not in this moral uh, failure or, or pastoral failure that would issue um, the, the kind of punishment or whiplash that they would get from, from a church having such a, a negative reaction. And so God's standard, God's calling is, is for, um, for 
a high caliber of man to lead the church that must first lead in his home, and then that can transfer into the household of God. And so one of the, the things that has bred skepticism towards church leadership specifically is, is just this, this um, I think it's kind of a, a sinister act of projecting the worst of a different pastor onto your current pastor. So seeing, okay, well, this guy over there did this, and that clearly was bad, and that was wrong. And so I, now I'm going to look kind of like cross-eyed at my at my pastor, or I'm going to going to hold some suspicion towards him that uh, he's probably doing the same thing. And I, I just that's I think that is it's an ungodly thing to do, and I think it's very destructive um, and very divisive. Now that's not to say that if you have questions um, or concerns, you don't go approach your pastor. I think you you should. In fact, I know our elders here we welcome that. If you got a question about a decision we made, you got a question about what was said, um, you need to seek clarity. Please let us let us provide clarity. Um, but but we also need to realize again here that that. The elders are are held to God's standard. In fact, I, w- I want to take you to a passage here that that'll kind of hopefully um, give you some handles to hold on to here, and that that points to um, the the attitude that congregants are to have towards pastors, and the high calling that pastors have, and then the advantage of of doing things God's way rather than doing it this this sort of sinful way. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, "Obey your leaders and submit to them." So here, here is, we've, we talk about this in, in other places uh, about um, authority. God, God is the one who is sovereign. He has all authority in heaven and earth. Jesus is all, I have all authority in heaven and earth. It's been given to me. Um, and, and God has, since the beginning, um, delegated authority. In fact, in the Garden of Eden, God, God said all, the, he didn't say it, it just was true, that everything belonged to him as the creator of the cosmos. And then he gives Adam and Eve the Garden of Eden to tend to. He, he says, here's your domain. Here's where you can exercise authority. Here's your role. Now, God does that same thing. He says, here's your domain. Here's the authority. He, he, um, he distributes authority in various sectors. So, so God grants authority to husbands. Husbands, you have authority over your wives, your children, your household. You are to lead them. Um, uh, those who who own businesses, who are bosses, you have an authority um, over your your reports, your direct reports. Um, the the government, you have authority over the nation. Uh, pastors, you have authority over the church. Um, now. In an ideal world, all of these authorities uh, would operate as as those who are under authority as well. So, so acknowledging that I am ultimately accountable to God. I am, he's, he's delegated responsibility to me. Um, he's, he's granted me a certain degree of authority over this sector of life. And and I want to conduct myself. I want to lead. I want to, to do what I need to do in a way that brings him honor, but also reflects the way that God utilizes his authority. And so all of these ideas, and I think this is why it's so important to, to want to have Christians in every sphere of life, in, in the governmental sphere, sphere, obviously in the church, Christian households, um, Christian cities, because we want um, our leaders to to follow the way that is going to be moral and ethical and bring honor and glory to the Lord. And so um, here it's it's fitting with the church that, that our leaders um, ought to be godly leaders, those who are subjected, have subjected them themselves to the Lordship of Christ and are leading and ruling in that 
that manner. And so here it's, it's not crazy to see that the author of Hebrews says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Because they are do, they're leading on, on behalf of God. They, they've been granted authority from God. They, they're, they're taught the more that they see God, they are to emulate him and they are to lead and to rule in a way that reflects God's leadership and God's rulership over our lives. So obeying your leaders and submitting to them. This is a call for all congregants, all church members to obey your leaders and submit to them. And then he goes on and says, um, for they are keeping watch over your souls. So here, here again is is the not only authority but the responsibility of church leaderships. They they are the ones who are keeping watch over the flock as under shepherds of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd. Um, pastors are the under shepherds who keep watch over the souls of their people. Now, for pastors, again, going back to the qualifications um, in First Timothy, um, he talks about you know if you can't if you can't keep watch over your own household, if you can't manage your own household well, how are you going to do that with the household of God. And so there's a sense of, of this graduated responsibility. And, and so here it says, not only are they are the leaders responsible for their own households, but here they have a responsibility to keep watch over the souls of the church, of the congregation. And then here, this line here makes me tremble every time I read it or think about it. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Ooh. And I think this is true of all leaders, that you will have to give an account. One day, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of God, and you are going to be um, declared either righteous by by the, the work of Christ, your faith in Christ and what he has done, or unrighteous, and you'll either be welcomed in the kingdom, um, or you will be pushed away into uh, the place of torment of, of the of a gnashing, the crying and gnashing of teeth. Okay, um, that that's that's one judgment that's going to happen. But there's also this judgment that we're told of is is that we have to give an account. We, every, every good, everything that we have done and left undone, it will be laid out in front of us. God will give us a verdict. Have we been good stewards? Have we taken what we've been given and deployed those in a way that brings honor that maximizes? You you can think of a Jesus' parable of of the um, oh dang it of, of the of the talents uh, of those different leader or those different um, employees that he gave different uh, dollar amounts to and, and what they did with that that that's that's here what, what, kind of what's going on is is you have to give an account for the things you've done and the things that you've left undone. And leaders will have to give an account for the way that they led. Fathers, you'll have to give an account for the way that you led your children. Husbands, you'll have to give an account for the way that you loved your wives. Pastors will have to give an account for the way that they shepherded the flock of God. And and not just in did you do the right things, but how you conducted yourself in doing those. So there's a matter of, of, of conduct. There's a matter of execution, the things that you did, um, even in the attitude um, of, of doing things from a, a glad heart, um, not as one grumbling um, or groaning, but to do it out of, of joyful submission um, to God. And so this is something that, that I think a lot of people forget about, that, that God will execute justice. Um, bad leaders will be judged rightly. That, that every injustice that has happened at the hands of poor leadership, um, that will be dealt with. Um, they'll have to give an account for that. But there's also this reality that a lot of times church members, and you see this a lot in, in congregational style churches, um, a lot of um, um, even like assemblies of God or some of those more charismatic churches, they they tend to think of themselves as the standard, that 
we are the ones who get to measure our pastor. And you see this in the fact that, um, you know, you go back to ask any pastor's kid what it was like to be uh, a pastor's kid. And and they can probably tell you some of the good, the bad, the ugly of what it was like to be part of a bunch of different churches um, where their dad gets in there and, and they're doing the best they know how. And there's always one or a small minority of people who are disgruntled that just are not satisfied. Even with like, even if Jesus was their pastor, they would probably find something to nitpick him about. Um, you know, and so they, they make it their own personal vendetta to, to, get this guy out of there. And I think that's one of the reasons why so many of these mainstream denominations have such a a short pastoral tenure. You know, you're talking like a four to 10 year range most of the time um, that a pastor's there and then he gets moved on to his next assignment. It's because the sort of this, the skepticism, this um, uh, cynicism towards leadership, um, this sort of divisive attitude, hypercritical stuff, it's been going on for a long time. So it's not nothing new. But maybe the intensity of it now is is uh, different than it was then. But but you have these things where it's going on. But uh, getting back to what I was starting on here, I'm like jetting a bunch of different rabbit trails. So hopefully you can follow with me. But the church thinking that they are the ones who must evaluate their pastor um, and, and that the pastor has to give an account to them rather than to God. Now, here's the thing that we need to keep in mind is that God's standard is higher than any human standard. So, so even if, if a church is like, okay, here's what we want, or here's what we expect from our pastor, um, and if, it, if it's not thinking God's thoughts after him, it's going to be less than the standard that God has for his, his leaders. And so just even stepping in as pastors, and I think this may be one of the reasons why pastor, there's not as many pastors, is this reality. You have to give an account for this. Everything you do, everything you said, every sermon you ever preached, every counseling session you ever had, you got to give an account for that. And um, it's terrifying. It's terrifying and humbling. And, and I think what, what it does, at least for me, it drives me to a place of prayer and seeking the Lord's help and the Spirit in all things, um, knowing that I have to give an account. And so that's something that, that needs to be kept in mind when we think about our attitudes towards, towards church leadership is God has a higher standard and, and the pastor is going to have, an, have to give an account for that someday. Now, Hebrews 13 keeps going on. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. So let them, that's speaking of the, of the, the pastors, of, of the leaders, let them do their jobs. Let them keep watch over your soul um, as ones who have to give account. Let them do this with joy and not with grumbling. So he, here's how... Um, Here's how the influence of of a church can negatively affect a pastor. If a, if a pastor knows, okay, God told me to do this, but the church is making it very hard on me. The people of the church are making me this this a very painful process. Uh, it, it makes it harder to do that job with joy, and instead they're going to find themselves groaning. Now that's something that the pastor is going to have to have to give an account for because we we have to we have to exercise responsibility over our own attitudes um, as pastors. But but there is a way that that can be influenced by by the receptivity or the feedback that a church gives its pastor. And so it says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. And, and, and you could probably even read it this other way, um, in submitting to your leaders or in obeying your leaders, doing it with joy and not with groaning. For that would be no of, advan- of no advantage to you. So he says here, if, if you have this 
this church that that runs on the economy of of grumbling and groaning and complaining, um, of just feeling the weight and the hardship of of ministry. It's already hard, but then you have a, a congregation that that intensifies the hardship of it. It's of no advantage to you. Um, you're, you're actually doing yourself a disservice by maintaining a posture towards your leadership where you are are not submissive. You're not obedient. Where you're constantly second-guessing or skeptical or, or suspicious of, of how your pastor is leading that will eventually become no advantage to you. Either one, that person will get run off and, and you'll have to deal with it all over again as a new pastor comes in, um, or there will be this reluctance to keep watch over their souls and really get, get into the, the pen with the flock um, because they're afraid, the pastor's afraid he's going to get his fingers bit off by by the angry sheep. And so the, the, I think, you know, I'm looking at this uh, it is a pastor's responsibility to do things with joy, um, not as as for man, but as unto the Lord, um, and not with groaning. But but there's a way that feedback can influence um, how challenging it is to do things with joy, or rather than than groaning. And so here we have a very specific, very pointed um, directive as far as the the attitude of an attitude and disposition of the church members towards its leadership and the responsibilities and the authority that comes with being a leader within the church. And I think a lot of people don't want to acknowledge that. A lot of people want to, like we just naturally are people in our flesh that don't like authority. And so to hear, okay, my pastor has authority over me. I don't like that, and I'm going to try to do whatever I can to render his voice useless. I'm going to I'm going to do whatever I can that in my mind I can, whether it's true or false, I can disqualify him so that his his voice carries no weight, or or it's at least easier to dismiss. And I'm justified, at least air quotes there, justified in dismissing his leadership over an authority over my life. I think that's one of the things that's going on here. It's is we like to be autonomous. And when God places authority over us, there, there's this tendency to, to buck against it, and we don't like it. And so you see this sort of widespread, again, uh, through every sector of, of, uh, of work, um, through, through government, through church leadership, there, there's all kinds of this hesitancy towards leadership that most times is, is not appropriate. And most times is not right. It is not godly. It's downright sinful. And usually it's in pursuit of, of some sort of selfish gain. And, and I, I don't think, I don't think God made a mistake when he designed the church the way he did. I don't think God made a mistake when, when he called, um, sinners, um, who are redeemed by the blood of Christ, um, who take responsibility for their own spheres of influence and then are, are granted um, responsibility over other areas to, to lead on behalf of him. I don't think God made a mistake when it comes to leadership like that. Now, can leaders make mistakes? Again, yes, yes, they can. And can leaders be disqualified? Yes, yes, they can. And Scripture has very specific ways of, of how to approach elders specifically. Um, if, if they're in sin, you, you obviously have Matthew 18, um, but I'm trying to think of, of the other place. Uh, it's either in First Timothy or in Titus, um, where... You know, if, if you have a complaint against an elder, you're supposed to, to bring witnesses. You have to have multiple witnesses um, to come forth and to address it together. And then there's supposed to be a kind of a trial. And this is one of the things that that many of these more um, like re- like reformed, um, even Presbyterian type churches have a really thorough system for church discipline, specifically as it applies to church leadership and some of the grievances and complaints that could be filed. Um, and so 
is there a way to address those things? Yes. You're, you're not just stuck. You're not, not helpless, but part of submitting and obeying your leaders is, is, is submitting to the process as well uh, of, of how you handle conflict or things that you may co- be questioning. Um, is this right? Is this right by God? And so I think when this attitude runs rampant, you, you have leaders that, um, that feel like it's a them against us mentality. You have, have, church members who who just assume the worst of their leaders that they're they're doing this for out of selfish uh, uh, selfish gain they're doing this um, to be self-promoting they're doing this because they have a uh, a power hunger they're doing this because you know whatever whatever the thing that that can be said about them it, unless it's dealt with the right way and approached and have dialogue and have some sort of conversation around it it it's going to just breed um, this this cancerous attitude that's running rampant right now in the church, and it's not going to make the church a vibrant, healthy place. It's going to create dysfunction between the leaders and its congregates. It's going to be disruptive to the ministry. It's going to be this thing that that is going to hinder the church more than help it at all. And so I, I a church cannot run on the economy of distrust, right? If you have pastors who are just always looking over the ch- their shoulders to see who's going to come after them next, if you have a church that's that's saying, oh, I, here's why I think he made this decision, um, and, and looking at things through a slanted lens— it's not going to be productive. It's not going to. It's not going to breed respect. It's not going to bring honor. In fact, that's one of the things Scripture says: is to honor your elders, honor your pastors, honor your leaders, um, and and it's it's not going to be a healthy organism. And and I I want. I've said this multiple times throughout the series. I want our church to be healthy. I want us to be a vibrant church, a church that that we get to reap all of the joys and benefits and blessings and privileges that come with being um, God's people and living according God's way and all those all the fruit that comes from that. We get to experience that, but also to be a missional church and, and that we want to see more people get in on this. But if the attitude towards leadership is always skeptical, if the attitude is is to to be undermining of the leadership, then then there's not going to be any mission that happens. Then you don't you don't want to bring anybody into that. And so I, I think that this, I guess, would be a, a challenge for both leadership. Are are we operating above reproach as the scripture tells us? Are we doing what's right by God? Not not being people pleasers, not trying to just make everybody happy and placate the the the, the mass crowd or, or silence the the vocal minority. Are we doing what we're doing as pastors in in honor and reverence of the Lord according to His Word? Um, and, and then also for church members, are we being the kind of the people, congregants, that that it's it's a joy for our pastors to lead? Um, and, and I think th- this this is a question. You know, and I'm not trying to call anybody out on the carpet here, but I do know that I, I've sensed this. Uh, from time to time within our own church, this sort of, this rub that happens. And when there's no conversation, when there's no seeking of clarity, when there's no um, forthright conversation, it'll just, it'll run rampant. And and we don't want to see that happen. Again, we want to see the church full of life, vitality, um, being faithful and fruitful in its mission. And and I know that's what God wants too. And I think that as we we live according to God's way, um, as, as leaders doing the things that God requires us to do in the manner which he requires us to do them and for congregants um, to obey their leaders and to be the kind of congregants that would would uh, be easy and and uh, enjoyable for for pastors to lead and to to execute um, their authority 
uh, that would be a joyful thing for them. I think that's where the sweet spot is, and I think that's one of the ways that right now um, the church is called to be countercultural. The the church the, the church needs to figure this out. We need to be the place where we learn to work together. That, that as members of the body, yes, the the pastors. The, you know, uh, you go through Ephesians four and talk about the pastors, the shepherds, the the overseers, the the teachers. Um, who are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, all within the context of the body of Christ, all, all these members working together, doing various things. You know, if you go to 1 Corinthians, um, we got to work together to, to be fruitful, to, to, to walk in faithfulness together. And I think when we don't, then the church, you know, it becomes on life support. And, um, and I don't want to see that. Uh, I think it's hard. It, it, as a leader, it's hard to be in that position. As a congregant, it's it's frustrating to be in that position, and uh, and we need to be mindful on both ends. Um, how do we honor God in all things? So that's my last thing, uh, the last piece here of, of how to destroy your church. And 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 what I would would say, I guess, to replace that, the attitude is is one of honor, of of respect, of obedience and submission to leaders. Um, and praying for them. I think that's a big part of praying for your leaders, um, that they would honor God and lead respectably and lead well uh, and courageously. And, and know that that leaders are given a, a, a hard task because um, David Foster Wallace has this quote on, on leadership that he says, leaders are the ones who get us to do what we don't want to do. Leaders are the ones who, who tap into, they see the potential in us. They see um, what, you know, he, he's not a Christian, but I'm, I'm superimposing some Christian lingo here. They see the redeemed version of ourselves and they are helping us. They're pointing us in that direction that we would step in the right way. And so there's going to be some times where you find yourself sort of like, it feels like a conflict where, oh, my leaders or my pastor said this and that doesn't sit well with me. Well, why is that? That needs to be the first question. Why doesn't that sit well with me? Is there something from my perspective that needs to be adjusted to conform to the scriptures? Or is there something bigger at play here that my pastor's, you know, going outside of the bounds of orthodoxy that I need to address? And so, um, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll stop my rambling there, but I, th- I think this is a big thing, um, and I think it's important for us to identify and see what's our part in this, how do, how do we fight against this, and I think one of the ways that we do that is by starting to speak well of our pastors, and I'm not saying, again, here's where this is going to sound like a podcast that I'm just trying to stroke my ego. That's not what I'm doing here. I think this, this is biblical. How do we speak well of each other? How do we... You know, if, if gossiping is bad or we're talking negatively behind somebody's back, how do we like, do, how do we redeem gossiping of talking positively about somebody behind their back? That's the kind of stuff that's going to create um, trust and respect and, and create this, this working together, this collaborative mindset between church leaders and the members of the church that is going to unleash us for fruitful ministry. That's all I got. Okay, that's all I got. I uh, appreciate you guys hanging in with me. I know that this podcast, the, this series, maybe sounded a little bit on on the Bummerville end of the things, um, and I'm looking forward to talking about some other stuff that 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 may be interesting to you. Um, dialing up some, I've read a few books that I'd like to share about, give some overview of them that that might encourage you to, to pick up a book and read and and find some help in maybe an area that you're struggling in. A couple things. Um, that uh, I'm looking forward to talking about. And uh, if you have any other recommendations, hey, I want to hear what you think about this or, or help me think through this idea from a biblical perspective, 
hey, reach out to me, sam at sacredcitychurch.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts, comments, suggestions for topics. Um, I'm all ears. Uh, and if there's anything about this that you want to talk about, I- I'm, I'm open. Um, our elders are open. We want to dialogue with you. We want to foster respect and trust here at Sacred City Church in Moline. And so uh, reach out to us. We would love the opportunity to walk alongside you in that. We love you guys. I'm praying for you. I hope you have a great rest of your week. We are looking forward to church on Sunday morning. Can't wait to see you guys to to share uh, time singing, praising the Lord together, sharing at the Lord's table, sitting under the Word of God together. Um, Should be a great time. Bring a friend. We'll see you on Sunday. Love you. Take care.